You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Monday afternoon, spring ball is in the air. And we hope everybody is having a good start to their work week just as we are. We thank you for joining us from 2 to 4 p.m. once again on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. And I just got the time to go and watch a recording of the Auburn football press conference with Brian Harson. I was able to go and hop on and see everything that was said during that press conference all like 33 minutes of it which I love that Gus Malzahn's press conferences were never this long a wealth of information Brian Harson is so if you guys want to hear from us you got any questions you want opinions from us you just got questions we will answer them to the best of our ability number to call 334-321-1390 find Levi and I on Twitter at Point Gardner at Levi Fitzwater Levi's spring ball is in the air it's not just spring ball. There's so much going on right now in the world spring of sports. Spring is in the air. You got spring football, March Madness. We got the tournament going out. NFL free agency started today. I mean, man, there's a lot going on in sports. NBA's ramping up. You got NHL ramping up. It doesn't matter who you are, what kind of sport you like. There's something going on right now for you in sports did right you mention now. the ncaa tournament i did yeah I okay said we got so the, i must have toned out that was the second one yeah we got the brackets I out heard baseball I mean, and then i was like ah i say there yeah you hear baseball and know it just starts drifting off into but i'm not yeah. particularly happy with the baseball team either after this after this weekend so we'll talk about that later on the Again, show so much to talk about today we got so much but we gotta start off with football right football rules down here it's king spring training starts today and you look outside and you see that weather and I'm going to transition with that. That's where Auburn's going to be practicing, not in the AC that Gus Malzahn's been accustomed to. Brian Harson's got him out in the elements, which the elements look beautiful today. Who needs an indoor today. practice facility when you've got the great outdoors? Am I right? We got men. We got men. <laughs> men leading the charge right now. That was kind of one of my major takeaways, though, from the press conference was how much he talked about, not necessarily the word culture, but I got culture vibes from how he talked about everything everything was very precise it felt like he was very calculated with everything that he was saying he's a tough guy you know he comes off as a tough guy and he wants guys to do things the right way and he cares a lot about effort and I mean in his opening statement the main thing that I took away from when in his three minute 30 second opening statement he was talking about effort and guys putting their best foot forward and just being excited that they're going out there to play some football right here in the first practice of the spring season talked a lot about effort in this press conference a lot about effort and just guys being tough and working hard and developing through workouts workouts were a common thing theme of this of course because they just got finished you know with winter workouts but just effort and putting the best foot forward this guy's a tough guy 
And it's definitely it's definitely speaking to me, at least what I'm hearing through these press conferences, he cares a lot about attitude, cares a lot about effort, cares a lot about intensity, guys being in the right headspace, guys wanting to do the right things, and guys focusing on doing the right things. And the right things to him, I think, are focusing on the little things. He 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 spoke a lot about practice and the importance of practice. I just I left very impressed. I always leave super impressed when I hear the guy talk. I don't I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm just drawn to his personality more than I was drawn towards Gus Malzahn's but there's something about this coach that every time he talks I'm like all right let's strap up I'm ready to run through a wall well it feels like he's actually speaking I feel like Gus Malzahn had a lot of a lot more of coach beat going on like he had that real cliche like man we had a real good week at practice going on but it feels it never felt it never felt real genuine when he would say things like that it feels like Harson's coming in here and saying at least what he's expecting and what he's trying to bring to the table. It seems that he's genuine in this approach and what he's doing. And there's a lot of quotes in here that, you know, they it, they kind of just jump off whenever you're looking at it. The one about offense and defense being on the field at the same time during practice, it has that real team vibe, the culture vibe. It's not like these are just two different teams that are practicing at the same time and just happen to have to play, you know, at different times of ballgame. It feels like an actual team you're not splitting it up you're not causing division where it's offense defense you're like hey you might play on two different sides of the football but we're still a team at the end of the day we're going to work together on this thing I love that that's one of the great things I loved uh we talked about definitely you can pick up on it's already cut you off definitely no, you're fine. there are some places throughout or oftentimes not some places but pretty much in every answer that he gives you can pick up on his expectations even if he's not straight up saying this is my expectation for the team. You can pick up on the expectations that he has for the football team and for his players individually in terms of their work ethic, their attitude, and their approach to everything that they do. You can pick up on those expectations because he he's definitely he 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 definitely looks like he is he's practicing what he preaches, right? He definitely he definitely looks like there is there's accountability in in the way that he operates. And that there is an actual, like, I'm in it with you guys in the trenches kind of mentality. I just always leave super impressed with, with he's got a vision. Like, there's a clear-cut, boom, vision. This is, this is it. This is how we're going to operate. And you either get on board or you get left behind. And it's nice to see that because even if this doesn't work out, even if this ends up being a bad coaching hire, you at least have to acknowledge that he had a vision in place from the get-go and he had a structure that he wanted to implement. And I felt like that was lacking. I felt like Auburn was just kind of lost in what they wanted to do. It was like, hey, we want to run the ball a lot. No, we want to do a lot of quick passes. No, we want to do you know bubble screens. No, we want to be a defensive team. It just never felt like Auburn found an identity under the previous regime. felt like they did at one point, but it just never felt consistent. It didn't feel like there was a plan of action that they wanted to take. Right now, it feels like there is a plan moving forward with a lot that's going on here. One thing, another or another thing that I saw in this, the depth chart situation. He said everybody's fighting for a position. I absolutely love that. I think that's great. You're, and that, he, that statement came after he was asked about the quarterback position, but I will amend this. Yes. He did say there was a pecking order at the quarterback position, and he did put Bo Nix at the top of it. And then he said Grant Lloyd. And he also said that Bo Nix will emerged as a leader during the winter workouts. Yeah, he, along he specifically with, singled out, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six players. He specifically singled out six players 
early in the press conference when he was asked about guys stepping up during winter workouts and whatnot. He was he specifically singled out Owen Papo, Zacoby McClain, Bo Nix, Tank Bigsby, and Tayshawn Manning all in that order. Is there any surprises to you on that list? Like at all? Do you it spoke to me that the linebackers were the first guys he mentioned because whether or not he meant to do that, that that tells me like subconsciously if those were the first two guys that came to mind, like those are two guys that have impressed him right away right and so I think that's great for the Auburn defense to have both of their linebackers who are coming back one of which could have gone to the professional level and Jacoby McClain it speaks to me that those guys were listed first among his group and that Bo Nix was was third it speaks to me because the linebackers they're the captains of they're, they're the quarterbacks of the defense that's what they are they're the ones who get the defense in position and you see those two guys you see your two linebackers and you see your quarterback those are your three, typically, as you think about him as the field general on the field. And then you look at Tank Bigsby, the best player on the team that you have. So you have your, you know, your two captains, your two field generals, your guys, your quarterback on offense, your quarterback on defense. Then you have your best player. That just speaks to me because it seems like there's good leadership going on. And a lot of people were questioning Bo Nix's leadership, specifically just because of the South Carolina game. They feel like there's a lack of that going on. And now you see that. He's impressed at least the coaching staff, and it says that he's become a leader, which means he's rallying the troops behind him and the other players on this team. I think it's great. I think I, I think that means a lot. And there's also a, an offensive lineman on there which says, hey, maybe the offensive line is actually getting in there working and looking to improve. I have seen a couple of things with weight gains on some of the guys, which is always good to see when you're getting the lineman getting, you know, getting a little bit bigger, getting a little bit beefier to you know help bolster what was a lackluster offensive line the past year. I want to go back to the quarterback position here. He was asked specifically about Bo Nix. He was asked specifically, what did you learn about Bo? Or what are you hoping to learn? It was something along those lines. It was specifically about Bo Nix, though. And then he he took it quickly away from Bo Nix, and he opened it up about the entire quarterback room. He started talking about all of them and being impressed with all of them, of course. And it was prototypical coach speak. And you could tell that that was it because – Obviously, he brought the conversation away from Bo Nix, but then he brought it back, and he did say that there was a pecking order, even though there wasn't a depth chart, and that Bo Nix was the number one quarterback in the room, and then there was Grant Lloyd, but he didn't really mention any of the others when he was talking about the pecking order. He just said that they would have a chance during the spring to run. Well, we did our quarterback depth chart a couple of weeks ago, and I said Demetrius Davis would be my number two. Well, he's not. At least right now. At least right now, he's not, and I'm maybe we're just sleeping on Grant Loy. Maybe we're just sleeping on him. Maybe he didn't. I just think he values the experience. I think it's, I mean, you see that a lot though. You see a lot of, especially at the, uh, the national, you know, national football league in the pros, you see oftentimes you would have a veteran guy who might not be as good as a younger guy that you could have in that backup role. But sometimes when your starter goes down, it's valuable to have a guy with a lot of experience, a little bit of a veteran leadership who can step in and maybe not wow you, and go win you games, but he's not going to do anything to necessarily lose you games from a mental standpoint, at least. And I think that's something that it looks like Harson's valuing in terms of the pecking order he's established at the quarterback position. Some other nuggets that were brought out. A look at the injury report that he gave us. Brandon Council, Shedrick Jackson, Marco Domio, Zion Puckett, and Xavion Capers all listed as out. Now, some of these guys still might be able to do some things out on the side, but not really participate. He listed those guys as out. Then he added two more players as limited, Desmond Tisdall and Amari Harvey, 
listed as limited that they'll be able to participate in some things but other things they won't be able to but all of those guys were listed on his injury list Brandon Council Shedrick Jackson Marco Domio Zion Puckett Xavion Capers all listed as out Amari Harvey Desmond Tisdall all listed as limited that breaks my heart about Shedrick Jackson because I had him at the top of my depth chart as well going into the spring that's gonna and it's gonna set him back it's gonna be hard because it's gonna give some other guys and we've we've hit on it this every time we talk about receivers we haven't seen a lot of them and this coaching staff hasn't seen a lot of them now they're gonna get a chance to get first impressions from these guys and not you know Shedrick Jackson Xavion Capers and there's two ways to look at the Brandon Council injury which we knew he was going to miss a substantial amount of time there's two ways to view that there's the negative way to view it which is well darn it you're not going to be able to get started on developing chemistry with an offensive line but I don't think this coaching staff had intentions anyway of having a clear-cut offensive line from the start I think all of those positions were pretty much up for grabs other than what Christian Clemente said last Friday about the center position with Nick Brahms I think that's pretty much that's going to be your guy at center but I think all of the other positions you were going to see guys rotate around and they're still trying to figure out what they're going to do at tackle and guard because that's what he said he's trying to figure out you know who can play tackle who's got the length to play tackle you know I I don't think that there's anything hammered down on the offensive line other than the center position but the positive way to look at it is well this injury to Brandon Council there's going to be more of a need now to rotate guys in and out of positions that maybe originally they wouldn't be playing at and he did say in terms of the offensive line and the defensive line in the press conference that guys were going to rotate around and that's good that's good get get guys involved get them uh you know get them used to get them get some of these guys involved whatever was working whatever they did last year wasn't working and I, I hit on it earlier with the offensive line and the weight they gained. You know, Justin Ferguson compiled all of them together at Jay Ferguson AU, friend of the show. He's always on talking to us. I'm just going to list some of these weights. I'm not going to say names. Plus 13, plus 10, plus 9, plus 8, plus 16, plus 10, plus 11, plus 12. That's all weight gains from linemen coming back for this offensive, team, offensive line for Auburn. You found something about J.J. Pegues as well. Yeah, I saw J.J. Pegues is at 308. I think they said he was listed at 300 last year. I'm, uh, On again, ESPN, I'm not, he's at 300. Yeah, so he was at 300 last year. He's at 308 now. Is that healthy weight? Is it more? Or is ju- it just more specific of a of a depth chart reading, right? Yeah, like, I'm, I'm not sure what like, this Like, did means. he really gain that much? I haven't seen him. I, I haven't seen him yet. So I think that's going to be an interesting thing, thing that I'm going to be looking forward to in the coming weeks to see, did he gain healthy muscular weight? Did he just get bigger? Or is that just a a depth chart thing where you know guys five nine but he's listed at six foot also what does that mean for his position can you play the tight end position at 308 pounds that i don't know back with more of on the line on the other side of this break we want to hear from you phone lines are open you are on the line with noah gardner and levi fitzwater we'll be right back You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Coming up next segment, we'll have Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports on with us. We'll talk some NCAA tournament with him and Alabama winning the SEC championship He's going to come in here and be excited. He's going to come in here with a lot of energy for us. He should be. I feel like all of the regions were pretty equal in the NCAA tournament bracket, which is what the S-curve will do for you when you're scrubbing these teams out unless you did a colossally poor job at ranking the teams, which I think there were some misses by the committee. But overall, I think they did a pretty good job. Alabama's region in the bracket, the East region, 
I, w- I would not say it's overly favorable. I would also not say that it's. Uh, I would also not say that it's overly concerning. I could just as easily see the Crimson Tide going to the Elite Eight Final Four as I could see them getting upset in the round of thirty-two. I mean, are you counting out round of sixty-four? Rick Pitino and that not. Iona squad. Yeah, not a chance. I th- what did I hear? <laughs> I, I'm trying to remember where I heard this. I saw uh, something. The state of Kentucky. Kentucky's not in the tournament. Louisville's not in the tournament. But Rick Pitino is in the tournament, and they are not happy. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 it's rough. There's a legitimate gripe about that, though. Because oh, no, I have a legitimate gripe with Louisville. I don't understand how Louisville is not in the tournament. If well, I'm being honest, when you're talking about the guy who got him in trouble, though, oh, too, yeah, still true, being yeah. allowed to coach and be in there. No, yeah. that's true. But they also whiffed on Louisville, in my opinion. But yeah, taking Iona, he. It would be it would be colossal. It would be a colossal upset if Rick Pitino found a way to beat Alabama. I don't see it happening. That's all you know in jest. But they got a hot UConn team. They might be facing the next round. It's 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 up in the air. It's it's after it's, that though. Like you you talk about the six, eleven, three, and fourteen seeds that are above them in their bottom half of that bracket. BYU's beatable. Michigan State, UCLA, of course, Texas, Abilene Christian. Texas, of course, is the best of that group of five teams that I'm talking about. Uh, I say group of five teams because you don't know who's advancing between Michigan State and UCLA in that first four game. But Texas is obviously the best of those teams. But I think Texas is definitely beatable when you're talking about the way that Alabama's playing right now. And Alabama's the better seat. And they, so. might not, they might not even see Michigan. I mean, the way Michigan plays at a slower pace and the way LSU can score the basketball, if, if LSU gets past the Bonnies, I mean, you're looking at a team where they're very beatable by LSU. If you're, when, LSU can, when LSU defends... I think Michigan got a pretty easy top half bracket. I mean, I think it's relative. I mean, it's pretty easy, but I could see. I'll be shocked if Michigan's not in the Elite Eight. At least that's my first glance. I haven't filled out my legitimate bracket yet. I've done my coin flip bracket. We're we're all doing. We're we came into this with what I think is great because this is like kind of our first impression. Not really first impression. You haven't filled one out yet. Yeah, we haven't. Me neither. Me or you. We haven't chewing on it. We haven't dove into it. So everything we're talking about is just kind of our first glance looking at this saying. You know what, this kind of, because the Michigan-LSU matchup is intriguing. If LSU can guard them, they can score and beat anybody in the country, but will they? That's the issue. Tournament starts on Thursday. Why do I have to fill out my bracket today? Why would I waste this week-long, you know, just greatness of content, this wealth there, by by going ahead and telling you who my bracket, what my bracket is today? If Why would you, I do that? If you don't think we're going to milk four days of NCAA tournament coverage, you are wrong. Oh, much, much, much more than that. Oh, we, yeah, we, we will be talking about this all month long, all and, the way to April 5th. And in the top half of that bracket with Michigan, they have those frauds at Florida State. Frauds. I say, Lost I, I, to I, Georgia Tech. Frauds. They, they get e- probably the easiest 12 seed across the board. Wow, yeah. I take that back. You see Georgia, Santa Barbara is Georgia there. Georgia sounds hot. They are hot. Winthrop's UC Santa in there. Barbara, shout out Gauchos. Yeah, never mind. Georgetown still though. What you know when you you don't typically see your twelve seed being a team that's thirteen and twelve. A twelve seed is normally, and that's why the five twelve always happens. Is normally a mid major who has had a really good year playing against a you know a middling team from you know a power five conference. This time it's a middling team, not from a power five conference conference but not like necessarily a mid-major i mean the big east hasn't been what you expect georgetown had been downright awful for a large portion of this season and, and then it gets hot. hot at the end wins the big east tournament and, and, right. yeah they win it win the tournament steal a bid and now they're, they're why louisville's not in the tournament right now exactly i still i don't understand syracuse over louisville if i'm being honest I, syracuse is the gripe i have it's syracuse I, that's the one i don't understand especially having syracuse above michigan state it's a sexier record 
It's, Hard for Louisville to overcome COVID time yeah. that they missed. I mean, Louisville's like, what, 13-7? and seven? Q's has got 16 sure. wins at least. Well, I mean, so. even with that, I would rather see Michigan State not in a play-in game and have Syracuse in a play-in game. I just I don't think that that makes sense to me. That's the only real gripe I see with that. I'm, I'm kind of iffy on the on the Syracuse things. I've been un, like I've not been impressed with them. I don't think they have. I think they have like what one quadrant one like Q1 Q2 win if I'm not mistaken. It's it's something like that that I just don't quite understand. A team like Belmont would have been better suited for that. I mean they've they won as many games as Gonzaga and they got left out of the tournament. We'll break down that East region later on in the show. Let's switch gears back yeah, we to just, we just started going. It's tournament talk. Hey, we, we love basketball. We'll just we're gonna start rambling about basketball. That's just what's gonna happen here. Auburn football just had a press conference earlier today. It happened at eleven thirty. Brian Harson got in front of the media as spring ball is in the air. We talked about a lot of that in that first segment. If you missed any of the show or you ever missed the show, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Still talking about some other things that maybe we didn't get to in that first segment. Early on, I think it was the first question possibly even asked to him. He was asked, what's the scheme going to look like on the defensive side of the ball? And I don't think this was a cop-out answer. I don't think this was coach speak. I think this is the truth. He said both the 3-4 and the 4-3, they got to be able to play both, and they're going to play both, and they're going to switch in and out of them, which tells me hybrid, multiple defense, a little bit of everything. And I think he was specifically talking about that in terms of the spring, them, them cycling in and out during the spring, and they'll figure out what they're best at. And they'll, they'll figure that out about a lot of positions. A lot of the, the the questions he was asked, he was like, well, look, I especially about certain guys or specific position groups, he was like, look, I haven't seen them yet. I don't really know. We're going to find out as the spring goes on and figure out what we're best at and then move forward with it, which is honestly the right approach when you're coming into a job. Into a new job. He's going to have – he's got a vision. He's got the areas where he needs to recruit to make it his own. But right now, he's going to have to build the best game plan for his strengths and also to minimize his weaknesses. And I like the fact that he he gives a nod to the 3-4, that you know that the 3-4 is going to be a part of it. But he also recognizes that, hey, we've got the personnel to run a 4-3. Yeah, and that's what you should do. That's just being a good coach is making adjustments for what you have. And that was – a I hate to keep saying that this is something that the previous coaching staff didn't do, but Gus Malzahn, had rigid. A, Gus Malzahn had a tendency to say, hey, this is what we're going to do, and you're going to fit to it, or we're going to look dumb doing it. And a lot of times there were guys who didn't look very comfortable in what they were doing because they were forced to run a role that didn't quite suit their skill set. I think mainly I primarily think of that from the offensive side of the football, but it translates to where you're coming in from Brian Harsons and you're looking at this and saying we're going to run a 3-4 but hey we got the sat we have some of the guys who can play a 4-3 as well we might as well be versatile you know be fluid on the defensive end and throw in multiple looks to confuse the you know confuse opposing offenses with the talent that we have that's just that's just being a smart coach and seeing that hey we don't have to be rigid as you just said in this structure we can be fluid with it by the end of the press conference and I'm probably reading too far into this right here but jokingly I thought to myself wow it's, it seems like Derek Mason's the second head coach of this team and, and I say that because coach Harson oftentimes would say something along the lines of kind of we're going to see what the defense does with that he kind of referred to it as we'll see what the defense does with that we'll see what Derek Mason decides to do he kind of he, he, he he's managing it from a thousand feet above as the head coach he's obviously the supervisor he's the head honcho but the 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 role of Derek Mason is still very much so like he's he's allowing Derek Mason to do his job 
It's, like he's it, not interfering. It's it reminds me a lot. At least of, that's my take. I could be wrong, yeah, but it, that's that's kind of the vibe that I was getting. It reminds me a lot of kind of how uh, LSU's national championship team was, where you have Coach O who was kind of like delegating all of this to different people, but you have guys like Joe Brady who are just clear cut like running their thing. A lot it of felt like he had more to say about the offense. Maybe that was because he was asked more about the offense. I'm not sure, but it felt like he had more to say when he was asked about something offensive related. He had more to say about it. Than just, maybe he did about the defense. That's not to say that it doesn't know defense because if you if you're an offense coordinator, you better know defense. But when you have and a, vice versa. When you have a guy like Derek Mason, it's hard to be like, "Hey, like I want you to do this right now. You go and do this, and I'm telling you to do this." It's Derek Mason. He's a very brilliant defensive mind. He, he has earned the leeway to be able to, you know, do things his own way and kind of just be managed. He's got from his trust. Above. Yeah. You, it's, uh, That's what clear. I took away yeah. from it. Yeah. That's a great way to, to, to wrap Mason, it all up. He's Derek earned Mason, his trust. Derek Mason has Coach Harson's trust. At least that's what we're taking away from the comments that were made. And, you know, maybe we are just looking a little too deep in, but I, I don't think we are. It feels very much like Coach Harson trusts Derek Mason a lot. Which is good. I mean, you if you have trust in your coaching staff, that's really good. I mean, you don't ever have to second guess in game time situations. You can focus on something else. And if you're trusting a guy, if you see him, even if you see him from like a perspective where you see something that Derek Mason might be doing wrong, if you trust him, you can talk to him about it and you can figure it out and y'all can work something together. Still talking about that Auburn football defense. Defensive line came up in a similar type of question as how he was asked about the offensive line and guys rotating around. He said guys will be rotating around in some different locations along that defensive line. He brought up the nose tackle position. I'm glad that that's not something that Auburn's hiding from because Auburn never really recognized the nose tackle position in the past, mainly because Auburn never had one. And I still don't know if Auburn has one on this team, if Auburn has a clear-cut nose tackle, zero technique, a guy who's just line up, head, head, is, head is up on the football. I'm not sure if Auburn has somebody who is clear-cut made to do that, but we'll find out because he's going to rotate guys around on that defensive line. And that's good. Uh, I'm I think Truesdale's probably the front-runner there, right? Even though I don't yeah, know if he like, is a true zero. I think he has to be the front-runner, though, at least just from what he brings to the table, and especially with his leadership and veteran, you know, veteran presence. I think he has to be the front-runner. Again, we'll see that more coming out of spring and how practices are going and a lot coming from the a-day game so kind of wrapping up and we'll revisit this press conference later on in the show this is the big news today it's the big news topic alongside the ncaa tournament of course so we'll come back to it but a major takeaway kind of bringing this back because we've talked a lot about themes of the press conference a major theme of the press conference for me was that we are going to know a lot more and this is just obvious we're going to know a lot more about this team when a day is done with and how they line up and how they play because i don't think that he knows exactly how it's going to unfold because i think he wants to see all these guys and see what they do well and he's going to create his game plan he's going to create his system around that and we'll know a little bit more about what that looks like obviously when a day rolls around and then more into the fall so there's a lot lot to look forward to with auburn football in terms of answering questions stay with us here on on the line stay on the line more of the show when we come back You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Find Levi and I on Twitter at Point Gardner at Levi Fitzwater. At AU Tiger Text 25 tweeted at us. And you can tweet at us too. And I absolutely love this. I've been rolling on it during the whole break. 
at Point Gardner. So Levi says, quote, they are the field general on the field, end quote. Where else would they be the field general? Touche. Touche. Good. That's good. I didn't even pick up on that. Like, call me out. <laughs> <laughs> call me out, why don't you, man? Dang. I love it. I love it. You know, for, yeah, I'll, tweeted us. That, me and you are both. We're humorous guys. We can we're we can laugh at ourselves. We understand when we make mistakes. Everybody's going to do it. So, the question yeah. is: Are they the field general outside or inside? Because Auburn's practicing outside. I'm here for ha, ha, ha. it. They are the I'm field here general for outside. It. But yeah, call us out. Tweet us. We love it. We we love to pick fun at each other. We're all we're, we make mistakes a lot. We say dumb things. I mean, some of us more than others. Me. <laughs> And now joining us on the phone line, as promised, we've got Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports joining us on the show now. Jeremy, how you doing today, my man? Celebration Monday, boys, Alabama, SEC, regular season and tournament champions. What's going on on the Plains, guys? I know you got to be pulling your hair out a little bit. I told well, you he was, we're I, talking football today. I told you <laughs> he was bringing it oh, I bet you are. I'm not <laughs> sure you are. Well, um, you were in Nashville. You witnessed it. What was your takeaways from the SEC championship game against LSU? Because it was a good one. I thought Trenton Watford came to play, and uh, he kind of had that look on his face early. It was a little bad blood before the game started back and forth. You kind of felt like it would be that way. Everybody's saying, well, Alabama should have won the game by more maybe, but it's so hard to beat a team three times. You hear that standing at the office water cooler. It's hard to beat a team three times. hard to beat a team three times. Well, Alabama got it done against LSU. came down to the final shot. Alabama just a little bit better in Nashville. And this is an Alabama team playing without a starter. And Josh Primo, Trendon Watford had his game of the season, the best game he's had by far for LSU this year. And it still wasn't enough. Alabama still found a way to win. Um, it's got to be exciting. First tournament championship since, I think, 1991. So that's before I was born, guys. So I'm 28. That's 30 years ago. So uh, it's a good time to be an Alabama fan and alum. And it's a good time to uh, – be reporting on the school and its athletics. So it's hard to be a team three times. What if y'all play them a fourth time? They are still they in, are in the same region. They're in the same region. I don't want to play LSU again. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it becomes how many times can you beat this team, right? Eventually they're going to have your number. But Law of um, I think Alabama's, Alabama's bracket that they got in, it, it's not it's not going to be an easy road to a Sweet 16 or an Elite 8. You win this one against Iona, you got to play – uh, true to traditionally really good basketball schools and possibly UConn or Maryland, then you could potentially see the Big 12 champion at Texas and then Florida State or Michigan from the other top half of that bracket. It's not going to be easy, but uh, listen, this is the time of the year where Alabama's got to get hot. They're not going to be able to, to win games in the postseason. Maybe this one coming up first. They're not going to be able to win games with Jordan Bruner scoring zero and Jordan Bruner and John Petty combining for four total points throughout a ball game. It took a heck of an effort from Shackelford, JQ, Herb Jones, but Petty and Bruner are going to have to do something. This Alabama team is going to be in trouble down the stretch because you're, I hate to say this, not to rain on everybody's parade, but Alabama still hasn't beaten a, a ranked team since January 7th. They're 0-3 against the last three ranked teams they played. You look around the other conference title games, you got top 10 Illinois and Ohio State battling at it. The Big 12 was just so good. I mean, Michigan's not even in their championship game. And here you have the SEC. It's a top ten team versus an unranked LSU. Like you kind of feel like Alabama's almost uh, as as a two seed. You just almost feel like they're not like they're very good. Don't get me wrong, but it just seems like the level of play that Alabama's played over the last month and a half is not equal to what some of these other teams had to face out against in their conference championship games. Alabama, we talk about it all the time, guys. If they get hot, 
nobody can beat them. They're going to be a tough out. Let's see if they can get hot down the stretch. And they got hot in the SEC tournament. I mean, you talk about some of the some of the ways they were beating folks. They were they were beating down on Mississippi State. If it seems like uh, what was that three four days ago in the quarterfinals? And that I mean, almost a forty point victory in that quarterfinal. And then the offense cooled down a little bit with the level of competition they were playing against. Of course, Tennessee held Alabama to a to a rather mediocre shooting performance but the Tides still win that game and they eke it out in a comeback victory and then they do the same thing against LSU on Sunday and Alabama wins the SEC tournament when I look at this bracket that Alabama has been placed in in the east region I see a lot of teams known for their defense does that concern you right now or has Alabama been able to reignite the flame on the offensive end I would say they reignited it listen they shot uh, 33.3% from three yesterday and uh, when John Petty's missing by a foot like he was doing and he loses confidence and he doesn't here's the thing about Shackelford guys he's the opposite of Petty Shackelford will shoot himself out of a slump it almost feels like if Petty doesn't hit the first couple he pulls down too many threes and in in Bridgestone yesterday the fans were screaming for Petty listen man you're open you're a three-point shooter that's what you're on the floor to do you got a wide open three in Nate Oates system this is a shot you're supposed to take and he passed up a couple yesterday that ended up getting blocked at the rim, passing it up, going down low, getting blocked at the rim, missing a, a contested two when you had an open three and your name is John Petty. You need to shoot it. Listen, if Alabama gets hot like they did against Mississippi State, nobody's going to beat them. But they weren't hot yesterday. I think they missed a lot of shots. They missed a lot of threes. Um, Jaden Shackford shot himself out of a slump. He had some big-time buckets from Alex Reese. Um, I thought Jawan Gary – just on the off from an offensive rebounding standpoint, did great. Keon Ellis hit a couple of big threes. We knew down the stretch in that game if John Petty wasn't going to hit shots that somebody like Shaq was going to have to step up and get 20 points. He was able to do that. But John Petty is going to have to be the key offensively, offensively for this team. He's going to have to make some big-time buckets. He's done it time in and time out in his career. But when Alabama starts playing these teams that are great defensive teams and everybody's got guys the, the teams that are going to be left in the Sweet 16 and on, they're all going to be good defensive teams. And you're going to, and Alabama's one of those great defensive teams in the country. You're going to have to start hitting shots from the outside to open up the inside a little bit. I thought Will Wade did a great job getting screens off for, for Watford. He was able to get some mismatches where Herb got pulled off because of the high screen and roll where Alex Reese was guarding Watford, and that's where Watford got a lot of his buckets. But Alabama's still fine-tuning some things. They're gonna, I feel like they can get hot, and I think that they – they're, they're almost a Sweet 16 lock right here. Let's see what they got to do, what they could do if they play a Texas and, and or a Florida State and a Michigan and try to get to the Elite Eight and the Final Four. Have you filled out a bracket yet, or are you like us and you're just you're still kind of chewing on a little bit and you're waiting until it gets closer? I, I filled out two already. No, you should check your um, Radio <laughs> Alabama email. You I have, have seen a, that. A, a, I have seen school, that. So. Well, it's crazy. I actually have Alabama and Ohio State somehow in my national title game. And I love – I know Ohio State lost yesterday. I love the grit they, they showed against against Illinois in the Big 12 championship game, pushing that one – it's the Big 10 championship game, rather. Pushing that to OT. Illinois is playing great. I just like Ohio State. I don't know. I, I, for some reason, my bracket, that's my main bracket. That's how it shook out, Alabama, Ohio State. And, and that one, I have Alabama winning it all, but that's probably a little far-fetched. I think Gonzaga – Still probably my in my heart the probably the favor to win yeah i was gonna say i was like that that sounds a little biased on the left side of the bracket but on the right side i can see it too some folks really like that ohio state team whatever bracketology show you're watching right now some folks really like that ohio state team and although they were sliding at the end of conference play in the regular season 
they got hot and they got to their title game and they were one of two Big Ten teams remaining when it got at, when, when the Big Ten tournament ended. So I, I I'm not opposed to you sending Ohio State that far. They are two seed. That's not outrageous. And their their bracket is I mean their region's pretty winnable. Like I mean there's yeah, not I mean, a lot that scares Houston, them. Yeah. yeah, I mean they're sitting in there. Maybe that's not even Houston's bracket. Who knows? Can't that's even remember. That's a lot of teams in there. Do y'all do y'all look at some of these other conference championship games and you just kind of look at it and you say these other comp the big the Big Twelve Big Ten that's elite guard play just true elite guard play and when i watched the sec tournament to me uh, a lot of it just didn't match up and i'm not saying that it's not a good matchup for sec teams but the guard play as of the top teams in those other leagues like watching that illinois ohio state game wow the guard play stood out and that's just going to be tough for some teams in the sec i think to match up with it because alabama and lsu their three and four players are running point guard the whole game and you watch those games and the in the the guard play was just unreal Speaking with Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports, you're spot on on that too about the guard play as well. I mean, Illinois, six of their top seven scores are all guards and some of the best guard play in the country. You're 100%. Baylor's great, great guy has, has, has great guards as well. Uh, almost too excited to get that out of my mouth. I don't know if you've forgotten about football though. Emmanuel Henderson, uh, have you heard of him? Five-star running back. He, he committed to Alabama over the weekend. Yeah, there's nothing like whipping Tennessee on the basketball court and in the midst of that, you get another five-star running back commit. You'd be crazy right now not to go to Alabama. The way that, especially from a running back and a wide receiver position, the way that they've recruited on the offensive line the last few years, the way that they've recruited at quarterback, Ty Simpson, you still have Bryce Young on the roster. If you're a running back or a wide receiver, you have to be, if you're a wide receiver saying, I have somebody that can throw, and we've seen this, you have to have somebody that can throw you the ball because when Jalen Hurts was at Alabama, I mean, Calvin Ridley, I know he still went top 10, but his numbers were way down. You put two in in the natty and it looks like Alabama's stretching it. 53 by 100. I mean, if the offense changes, you're a running back, you're saying there's guys like, there's just multiple guys that look like Alex Leatherwood and Landon Dickerson rolling through the program that are going to be able to block for me. You look at Najee Harris and the rest of the running backs that have come through over the last few years, If you're, you'd almost be crazy to say Alabama offers me and I'm not going to go there, especially if your destination, uh, your, your wanted destination is getting into the National Football League. Quite a nasty class Alabama's putting together because he joins five-star quarterback Ty Simpson. Is this kind of like that Tua class that had Najee Harris and Jerry Judy? Where's the receiver at? Well, uh, as receiver's not a, uh, a a tall order on this one. Alabama locked up for the top 70 receivers in last class. They're still really trying to lock down the Alexander kid from Thompson. Um, that that the linebacker, he's going to be one of the best players in the state, one of the probably a five-star before this thing's over with uh, through all the recruiting services, but Alabama, I don't know about the receiver position, but they're getting back on the offensive line. They're getting the quarterback. They want to land a good quarterback in every class, obviously. They can nab a receiver. This class is going to be probably a lot about D-line, trying to get some DBs, uh, because you're going to lose a lot of those over the next couple of years, too. And, and uh, I don't know, just trust Nick Saban and trust these guys to figure it out. It's an all-new recruiting staff, by the way, and it's the new guys that Saban just hired that are able to land Henderson and uh, Ty Simpson. So you got to be excited. Jeremy, I appreciate you taking the time to hop on with us today. Tell everybody where they can find you Find you on Twitter. I am J underscore law. I will be absolutely unbearable during the um, NCAA tournament. And if Until I'm you lose. losing, I will also be unbearable. So just join me. <laughs> You'll be unbearable to Alabama fans if, if they lose and both if they ways. win. Oh, both ways. Okay, I'm here for it. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, my man. I hope you have a good afternoon. See you guys. That was Jeremy Law 
of Radio Alabama Sports joining us on the line today. The ESPN 106.7 Basketball Mayhem Contest has one million reasons for you to enter. Correctly predict every game of the men's basketball tournament. That's right, every game. And you could win one million dollars. Almost felt like saying that like Dr. Evil. One million dollars. One million dollars. That's chump change. (laughs) Register now. Well, that's what they told Dr. Evil. Register now at ESPNAU.com. Even if you don't win the million, the closest to perfection wins a 50-inch smart TV from Rick's Audio, Video, and Appliance. Basketball Mayhem is presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, Tzatziki's Mediterranean Cafe, Brubaker Motors, and ESPN 106.7. Hurry, deadline to sign up is this Thursday night. See rules for all our contests at ESPNAU.com. We wrap up the first hour of On the Line on the other side of this break. Stay with us. Back on On the Line, wrapping up hour number one here on ESPN 106.7 on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Big thank you there to Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports for joining us on the show in that previous segment if you missed any of that conversation be sure to go check it out wherever you get your podcast that's how you can find on the line just search on the line you'll be able to find the podcast apple podcast google podcast spotify stitcher iHeartRadio. you can find us at all those locations keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on radioalabamasports.net and on the radio alabama sports facebook page follow it on twitter as well at radio al sports between collegiate and high school sports content we've got you covered once again that's radio alabama sports dot net um while we play what's on tv tonight uh we're going to continue our discussion trying to pick through uh who would win in a mascot fight in my ncaa tournament bracket <laughs> trying to decide between a bruin and a spartan roll the clip hey everybody it's noah gardner with what's on tonight it's all come down to this the season finale of the bachelor who will matt james select find out tonight on the season finale of the bachelor on abc at seven Then following the finale, The Bachelor, after the final rose, will be on at 9. If you want to stay away from the drama, The Voice is on NBC at 7, continuing with Part 5 of The Blind Auditions. Some movie selections for tonight, Law Abiding Citizen is on AMC at 7. The 2016 reboot of Ghostbusters is on FX at 7. Do you need help filling out your bracket? Tournament Challenge Marathon is on ESPN2 starting at 7. In the NBA, we've got two games on ESPN tonight. At 7, it's a battle in New York. The Knicks and the Nets will square off in a revamped rivalry as the two teams are among the top seven teams of the Eastern Conference. At 9.30, the Lakers will take on the Warriors. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. That was what's on TV tonight, and uh, I think the synopsis coming out of that uh, during during that downtime right there during that minute, I went with I went with a Bruin beats a Spartan in a mascot fight. Not not even close. Spartan yeah. is going to go up to the bear and get bigger than the bear and say, "Hey bear, hey bear." The bear's going to leave him alone, and then he's just he's got him. What is he poke him with a pin? <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> Look, I, I didn't get a balloon in front of him. Look, I didn't harder. go to school. I didn't go to school to make sound effects. <laughs> Everybody is attacking me today, and I'm not here for it. Uh, we're, we're referencing picking some brackets here. I've already done a coin flip bracket. Now I'm on my mascot fight bracket. Who would win in a mascot fight? And now I'm not talking about the stuffed animals. I'm talking about actually like what they represent. And so you- I, right now I'm stuck on bulldog and mountaineer. And uh, there's a couple different ways you can look at that. The bulldog could just be too cuddly and just you know sneak attack. 
And then if the mountaineer kills the bulldog, he goes to jail for animal cruelty, and uh, yep, nobody wins. That's right. There's yeah, a lot. Of, there's so. a lot of different. There's a lot of fun ways to go about it. I like just to find. It's one of the ways. Um, if you're ever looking to figure out who scores the first touchdown of a game, just text people who have absolutely no knowledge of sports that you know, and just give them two cities or give them two colleges and say, hey, what do you think about this or this? Would you rather go to Spokane, Washington, or Stillwater, Oklahoma? Uh, oh. neither <laughs> is neither an option what, what time of year i don't know you know let's uh let's wrap up our number one here we got uh, about four minutes left until we head to break auburn baseball dropped the final game of its series against little rock on sunday they didn't just drop it they got thumped 12 to 6 they lose to the trojans i saw that auburn was up I didn't watch this game. I was I was busy yesterday doing some stuff, and I wasn't watching the game. And I checked on Twitter though, keeping up with the score, and whatnot, what was going on. So Auburn jumped out to an early lead, and I was like, okay, this is the game where Auburn. This is the game where Auburn beats the snot out of them. This is the game where Auburn explodes because we hadn't seen that yet. They obviously won the first two games, 13-0 which was outstanding pitching, but the hitting still just like, I was expecting, you know, a 12-run burst in one of these games this weekend when I saw the ERA at Little Rock. And then I check back later, I'm like, and I see a tweet like, oh, we've got some work to do. I'm like, what you mean we got work to do? And then you saw it. And then I saw they lost 12 to 6. You were just and, like uh, I was with Boston College, where I just kind of was like, ah, okay, cool. I'm done. I don't have see, to, that I was in the ninth inning. Yeah, Mine exactly. was after the third yeah, or fourth this was, inning. This was a little bit later. I was like, ah, I, I was a little care pre- about this. too premature, but still. What, what do you mean? What, what do you mean we've yeah. got work to do? I, I've talked to some people. I've received from push ba- some pushback about people saying, you know, are, are, are we being too critical about Auburn baseball right now? Well, here's a fun fact for you, and it's not really that fun. Auburn baseball has the most losses in the SEC right now outside of one team. And that one team is the only team in the SEC with a losing record. That is Missouri at 7-10. Outside of that, nobody else has five losses in this league. And we also lost to Little Rock, which is, you know. Well, I mean, look, that, that's not what categorizes it there for me because Ole Miss lost to ULM this past weekend. And, and you're LSU, going to lose LSU one. lost to Oral Roberts. They lost two. Yeah, they lost, Oral, they lost a series. To Oral Roberts. So, Things happen. I understand that. But going in, and you remember this conversation, I went into non-conference play. We looked at the non-conference schedule when it was released, and I said, look, if Auburn loses more than three or four games, I'm going to be disappointed. And I moved it back to four games after we saw the Jack Owen injury. I said, because originally I was at three. I was like, this is an easy non-conference schedule. And look, most of the teams in the SEC only lost three or four games. Pretty much all of them did, except for Auburn and Missouri. All of them did, exactly. 12 out of 14 teams only lost three or four games and some of them played vastly more difficult non-conference schedules than Auburn did Ole Miss swept in one of the most prestigious tournaments in all of early season baseball when they beat three top 10 teams schools like Texas and TCU and all those squads I mean when you sweep three top 10 teams on opening weekend and that's who Auburn's playing now is Ole Miss you're like oh man and look so that excuses the loss to ULM this past weekend when you beat teams like that my issue is Auburn has beaten two good teams, but Auburn lost the series to Boston College, and they lost the series in, in, in the the Round Rock and the Round Rock Classic. And so my thing is like they really didn't take a good series yet in non conference play. To me, they lost two of their non conference series, and they won all of the ones that they should have. They won all of the ones that you're you're like yes, without a doubt, they should win these. But I was disappointed with this past weekend against Little Rock because I brought up the statistics, the, the per average statistics with Little Rock. 
Auburn actually averaged less runs per game against Little Rock than what Little Rock's season average was going into the series. We were expecting them to be able to hit. We were expecting them to hit well this Right. Little Rock weekend. was averaging 6.4 runs allowed per game. Auburn only averaged 6.3 runs per game against Little Rock. So I was a little like, okay, and, and people might be like, oh, big deal. They still, they still scored 6.3 runs per game. But you expect there to be a jump like you expect the SEC team to perform you, better you on t- the high end of what Little Rock's doing, if you, right? If you go through and look at Little Rock's schedule, you'd expect Auburn to crush their season average just based off of who Little Rock had played to, you know, establish that average. So I just didn't feel like Auburn went out there and just dominated. And I would have liked to have seen Auburn dominate when you're going into SEC play, and you're you're going to have to look really, really good against Ole Miss if you're if you're going to at least take one or two of those games, at least one. That does it for hour number one of On the Line. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Stay with us, everybody. You are on the line, live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Hour number two of the show getting started with some Auburn football talk here. We opened up the show talking about the Brian Harson press conference. We'll revisit that conversation here, hit some of the highlights. We want to hear from you. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Any questions, comments, we want to hear from you. Once again, 334-321-1390 is the number to call. Brian Harson's press conference today, the first of spring practice. I'm always uber impressed when I hear this guy talk. And the thought occurred to me while I was watching the press conference because it occurred to me that I was super impressed by the guy. I'm like, man, I'm always super impressed. And then I thought to myself, is this ever going to wear off? Is this just because he's new? Is this because we're in, we're, we are impressed by him because we've been, we've been seeing him talk so much already or really not that much already but but the the bits and pieces that we've gotten he's talked for a long time I mean this press conference has been like 30 minutes long each which is much longer than than Gus Malzahn's have been in the past it gives a lot of information um my thing is I I just wonder if it's going to wear off I'm like have we is it just because we haven't picked up on his on the little things or were we this impressed with Gus Malzahn when he was first hired at Auburn is it just that it's a new thing and we're just excited I mean we've had I mean Auburn has had the same coach for it was eight years eight years of Gus Malzahn maybe they just got so tired of that at the end of it and people are just sitting there thinking this is something new this is something something different something new something excited I lean away from that notion right now I will you know that could change we might it might be I don't remember being this impressed by Malzahn at the at the get-go I was one of the guys who wanted Gus Malzahn to take the job at Auburn back in the day you know there was a lot of people who didn't want that and I was one of the guys who did and so I I came in with you know real question are you on the right side of history Levi I don't know (laughs) I don't know if I I don't know if I was we went to we went to a national championship uh didn't win one so were we who knows? I don't think I don't know. You got Auburn to a natty. 
I mean, the Mark, other guy. I, th- I think the you other, are on the right side the of history, other, for the record. The other guy that they were mentioning was Kirby Smart, and he had a very I don't similar, think that would have worked at Auburn. I mean, yeah, he also went to a national championship, didn't win one either. So I don't know if he could have recruited Auburn the way that he's recruiting Georgia. That's not a that's not a that, slight on Auburn. That's just that was one of the reasons I liked Gus Malzahn coming in at the time because they, they were recruiting vastly different, at least from an offensive perspective, in terms of the guys they wanted to get in. Alabama was still in that pro style offense at the time; it really wasn't spread them out like it is now at Alabama. So Auburn was able to kind of get guys from around the area that they weren't having to compete with with Alabama as much, at least in certain you know certain recruiting standpoints. But then eventually Alabama changed and. You saw that. It kind of reflected in Auburn's recruiting. They weren't able to recruit as good because Auburn was taking guys that primarily were going to Auburn because they play, they fit the scheme better. Maybe things did just get stale with Malzahn. That's what it seems like. I just feel like back half – look, I, I'm not even going to say back half. By 2015, after the first two years, maybe even not even from the start. I don't know. That That is a little bit – you know, there is recency bias, obviously, that yeah. can cloud, cloud your judgment or cloud your opinions on it. I just – I don't remember Gus Malzahn ever really just like effectively conveying the messages that Brian Harson is able to convey. I never heard Gus Malzahn say something and I'm just like, whoo, I want to run through that a wall. That inspired right? me. I, yeah, I never felt like. That made me feel hmm. good. Yeah, I, you never got jacked. You never were like amped up when you heard him speak most of the, like you were just like, oh, okay, cool. We had a good week of practice. It's like, awesome. I think I believe you when you say we're going to be fast and physical, but just, None of the actual, like, like if Brian Harson says Auburn's going to be fast and physical, I'm like, all right, I believe you. You know, we also haven't seen Brian Harson do anything yet, and we're looking back on this and hearing, at least for that specific one, hearing Gus Malzahn saying, we're going to be fast and physical. And you saw for years, like, no, we were just fast. We weren't very, we were not very physical. And I think that has a lot to do with it because we haven't seen it, and we can't call out, we can't call him out on, you know, trying to, you know, maybe you know pull one over on us or whatever just like maybe just saying saying something you can't you know i'm, I'm trying to find the so it right is word. early I, and I, it might be good to pump the brakes a little bit but i'm still but i'm still gonna be still excited. get you excited i'm still gonna be excited dude when i hear him talk i'm just like i, I get amped i get it's like amped. can i go practice with you guys out in the heat like but you drop a couple of games like a you know a game at south carolina or you get embarrassed by georgia and then a lot of people are gonna start saying oh, you said that last week and it didn't do anything so <laughs> that's so true that's so true. He just the big takeaway for me, the big themes across this press conference today, he cares a lot about the little things, the details. He's extremely focused on how they do the little things, how they practice their effort, their attitude, and that can then thus be conveyed to game time. It's it's about the process, and I hate using that because that's attributed obviously to Nick Saban in college football and the 76ers in the NBA, but it's about the journey. It's about getting there rather than necessarily like always thinking about, you know, being there. It's, it's, he's very present in the moment. It's very much so about what's going on right now and winning the day and winning right now. And he conveys that message with intensity and confidence and certainty. There's just a level of like, like yeah, man, this guy means what he says, and and he and he does it. There's some uh, there's a uh, a saying that I heard once, and I've always kept this with my you know in my daily life, and I think that Brian Harson embodies this with his coaching. You have to be in love with the process. There are a lot of guys who want to win, but there are not a lot of guys who want to. That there are not a lot of guys who enjoy going through 
getting up at 6 a.m., running two a days, working out. And it, everybody in their life can transition to that. You know, if you're not where you're at in your job that you want to be in, you're not just going to magically wake up one day. Most people aren't just going to magically wake up one day and be somewhere that they are. You have to really enjoy that process because if not, even when you take that next leap, you're still going to be unhappy. You have to enjoy the process the whole way through and just understand and appreciate what's going on to appreciate winning and establishing a winning culture. And it feels like Brian Harson is doing that. You said it. he wants to win the day. He wants to live in this moment and enjoy every single second of this process that he's going through. And I mean, that kind of, that gets you excited. That gets you excited that it doesn't seem like they're taking days off and they are really just trying to, this, it's not a, oh, we want to win. It's, we want to win. This is why we're going to do this to ensure that we do win. Some housekeeping notes here. Injury report. Guys that are listed as out that he specifically said were out. He had a couple of guys listed as limited. These guys are listed as out when he was asked about it. Brandon Council, Shedrick Jackson, Marco Domio, Zion Puckett, and Xavion Capers all listed as out. He did say some of these guys would be able to participate kind of like on the side. I don't know what that means. He just said doing little things off on the side. He listed Amari Harvey and Desmond Tisdale as limited, meaning they'll be able to participate in some things and then other things maybe not, depending on whatever the extent of their injuries are. He didn't go into detail on these things. He didn't go into detail on longevity on any of these guys except for Council, who he said that he would hope to get back at 100% you know, sometime in the summer and going into fall camp. So that's the injury report looking right there. Something else that I want to bring up, tight ends. He was asked about tight ends. Doesn't know until he sees them in practice. Not that he doesn't know if they will be used because he intends to use them and he said he was going to have them out in practice today, that they're going to be used. How they're going to be used, though, is going to be dictated, of course, and this is me taking it a step further based on the fact that he said he doesn't know how they're going to be used. In my opinion, based on what he said, my takeaway was, they're going to be used based on their skill set he's looking for versatility at the tight end position he's going to use them on the line off the line and in the backfield kind of like an h-back of course so he uses them in versatile ways traditionally but whether or not he can do that with this group right now we talked about tight ends two weeks ago with our depth chart series we said there are some of these guys that that really it's not a deep unit with guys that look you're like your prototypical you know pass catching modern day passing game tied in they're just not too many of them look like I mean, that jj Begees is 308 pounds let's be honest yeah. like he doesn't look like a modern guy who's going to be running and catching passes like the modern day tight end your travis kelsey and whatnot he doesn't look like that and i, I agree with you i think that they're going to use the tight ends based off of what they see they're going to go through practice and see hey we can have a more heavy tight end focus they're going to use them but to what extent and i think he knows he's got a deep room he even said that he said there's a deep room there's a lot of bodies there so We'll see. Bill Cameron asked that question. A little plug here for the drive. Drive with Bill Cameron coming up after us every weekday, 4 to 6. Just and stay, I'm sure he'll be talking on. about that too. Just stay on the radio station. That's right. I mean, Seven well, hours however, of local sports however talk However you're listening to it, you got some good ones. You got us. You got Bill Cameron coming on after. I mean, let's go. You you got your whole day filled out. Let's, I mean, who needs work? 11 needs to work? 6. Who needs work? You got so much content here. Just sit at home and do nothing. 11 to 6 on ESPN 106.7. Seven hours of local sports talk radio and then over on fox sports central alabama of course it all starts at two with us here on on the line and then the drive with bill cameron as well on that station also he smiled 
he smiled yep. like about John Samuel Shanker when he was asked about whether or not he was with the team. Shanker right now is doing what he can. He is with baseball, of course, for probably the majority of the time, but whatever he can come and practice and do things with the team with football, he does. And he smiled when he said, man, that guy just loves to work. And that was one of the few times, if if any, that might have been the only time that I think I saw Harson like grin, like smile about something in the cannot. press conference. And he smiled about Shanker. I, that stuck out to me. You can't question a guy's work ethic if he's playing two sports and at, when in one of them season is still going and practicing for the spring with the other. I mean, you cannot question that guy's work ethic. I think I think Shanker really embodies what Brian Harson like. If you were if you were to like make a guy who would fit what Coach Harson wants in a player, I feel like Shanker, at least in terms of like his attitude and how he operates, I feel like that's what you would get. You would get a guy like him who doesn't mind going and you know practicing with baseball. He's like, oh, I got time. I can go do football today as well. Let's just get to work and you know let's get better. Was asked about the offensive line as well. He pointed out that they still need to recruit the position, that they're not done with that. They still need to add more bodies to it in the future here they're kind of stacked up in that junior class he brought that up as a as a possible concern for the future they've kind of got a little bit of a log jam in that junior class and once those guys leave well the cupboard does kind of get bare I mean they've got some young guys below them on the depth chart but they really need to recruit more bodies so that's going to be an emphasis for them they're going to be rotating around the offensive line I don't think that there's any anybody on that offensive line that's just locked into a position other than Nick Brahms at center, said that in hour number one when we were talking about the O-line, they're going to rotate guys around. The injury to council probably gives them the ability to, or, or more of an option to maybe rotate guys in and around the guard spot than maybe they would have originally. He also, when he was asked about specific players that stepped up, Tayshawn Manning was included in a group of five players. Tayshawn Manning, an offensive lineman, defensive lineman turned offensive lineman. He was, uh, he was on the line last year at the guard position played some left guard last year Tayshawn Manning was brought up I wonder if he ends up on the on the starting offensive line because I was kind of wondering if he was going to be phased out uh by you know the likes of Keandre Jones entering into the offensive line or something like that because we've talked with Christian Clemente a lot Christian Clemente seems to believe that Keandre Jones is going to get in the line that's kind of a when your ears on the ground that's kind of the one of the hot names that's cropped up when you're talking about the O-line at Auburn this depth chart series, when we talk about the offensive line, that's this, this one's week. Good. This one's going to be a. Uh, that's this week's edition. This one is going to be a tough one. We'll it probably is, do it on Wednesday. It might, I might not even have an actual depth chart. I might just start talking about guys and saying, like, I think this guy's going to play a You're lot. You're not getting out of this. I think this guy's going to play a lot at this one. You're not getting out of this. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm still going to make one. It's just going to be this one. This one's going to be a tough one because we know going in that guys are going to be rotating in and out. And the only one, at least that we think of, that's going to be locked in is Nate Brahms at center. I just don't know everywhere else. I'm going to approach it the NFL way. I'm going to have my starting five at their specific positions, and then I'm going to number off like a basketball (laughs) bench because that's kind of how NFL teams approach it. Because NFL teams oftentimes won't take 10 linemen when they go into the regular season. They They might only take eight. Five of those guys are starting for you, and then you've got three guys. Most of those times, the guys on the bench are versatile, and they can play the guard or the tackle, and wherever there's an injury, they get slotted in. You look at the Browns, UAB product, Hubbard for them. He's played guard, he's played tackle, and then he got hurt. Browns were down to like third-string tackle this I mean, year. That was, I mean, Saints, the did, practice squad. Saints did that last, uh, last year. They had Eason yeah. on there, and I mean, you used to throw a guy like Will Clapp in at you know, tackle and guard every now and then, just depending on 
who is healthy. And that's I think that's what we're gonna see an NFL approach a line like this. So that's the way I'm gonna approach it. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna rank them on the bench, not necessarily do it too yeah. deep at each position. More of on the line on the other side of this break. Stay with us. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back. Back on On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. That's how you can join into the show. Find Levi and I on Twitter, at Point Gardner, at Levi Fitzwater. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. The Max Roundtable, On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, Analysis, News, and more. Seven hours of local sports talk. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. We have hardly talked about the NCAA tournament yet, Levi. There's so much news. We had that Auburn press conference. Kinda, yeah, Auburn football it, took the cake. Man. Yeah, it kind of shook us a little bit because, you know, that happened right before we got here. Then we had to Auburn had baseball to throw that well. in there, baseball. And then we, we talked a little bit of tournament, but mainly from the Alabama perspective when we had Jeremy Law on. So let's get it going. And let's Alabama to- took a two seed. What were your thoughts real quick, though, on Alabama and the SEC tournament? Yes, we didn't expect this to happen. I mean, I had them getting beat by a team they didn't even play. You had them getting beat by a team they didn't even play. They played well enough down the stretch with their defense to win them this tournament. I'm just going to agree with Jeremy Law that you look at what happened in the SEC tournament. The SEC, or I guess as a conference as a whole, did not have just elite guard play. And that's what happens, and that's what carries you to the tournament. I think Alabama had the best guard play out of, you know, guys, you know, the SEC teams. But I think once they have to face tougher competition and teams that have some of that elite guard play, I think they're going to have a little bit of a trouble here. I'm still impressed. They went through the gauntlet. That is very impressive to win the SEC regular season and the tournament. And I'm taking nothing away from Alabama. But it it comes down to what we said all season. Are they going to be hot and shoot consistently down the stretch enough to be able to make a deep run in this tournament? I mean, that's something we're just going to have to see. Alabama's region they are the two seed in the east region how does that east region look when you're staring at it here on paper because Sting texted me on Sunday he said well Alabama got the easiest region I don't necessarily see that I actually see this as a treacherous region for Alabama in terms of the way their opponents play basketball I don't I I mean I'm not gonna say it's the easiest but I do think they have a bit of an easier stretch to get there there's not a team on there that really strikes fear into your heart outside of Michigan and I said earlier I wouldn't be surprised if Michigan dropped beforehand especially if they end up playing a team like LSU that if they're on their P's and Q's defensively because if LSU is playing defense that day they're going to score with anybody Michigan plays that you know slow you know a little bit of a slower pace Michigan pick or if LSU picks it up and ends up running them out of the gym I could see something like that happen. Then you're just looking at Alabama, you know, Florida State, frauds. You don't have to worry about them in this bracket at all. Texas, they're pretty good. I would I would be a little afraid of Texas. And BYU, I mean, they played the best team in the country, or at least what is perceived to be the best team in the country, pretty well in the WCC Conference. UConn, they're, you know, they've been hot as of late, but I think Alabama's a much better team. I don't know. It, it it seems that it could easily be an it could it could be an easy run. It could result in a Final Four, or it could just as easily result in a round of thirty two loss. That's the way I described it. Why do you, why you keep show. discounting Rick Pitino? Well, you just you just keep forgetting about They're Iona. not losing to a fifteen seed. Oh, don't you? This don't, is not the fifteen seed. We don't needed. sleep on the Gales. But no, also, I'm, remember how like a month ago we were talking about Belmont? They got hosed. Let's be honest. 
Belmont won just as many games as Gonzaga. They won 26 just because they lost in their conference tournament. Wow, you're legit mad about this one. Well, I don't understand. Who would you stuck him in out? Who, who would you stuck him in over? Utah State. I would have stuck him in over maybe even like Michigan oh, State. Uh, Syracuse. I mean, I, I, I don't think Syracuse belonged in the tournament. I, that's just my personal opinion, but it is what it is. They, were, they won the regular season title in the Ohio Valley. It's kind of hard not to when you win 26 games, of course, like you pointed out. So the um, that is brutal. Let's see. What was their overall record this year? Belmont went 26-4, and four and they got left out of the NCAA tournament. Just because they didn't win the conference tournament that they were playing in against Moorhead State, the number two seed, by the way. I, I think Belmont deserved to be in the mm. tournament. It's, I think they get in over Wichita State in my mind. Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of teams and you, there's a lot of teams and they weren't even on like the first four outline. They weren't even close. Like they had to win the Ohio Valley or they weren't getting in according, you know, to what we looked at through the bracketology. It, it, that's just mind blowing to me. I think I, I, I would rather see this team in over a team like Syracuse, over a team like Utah State or even over a team. Obviously, you can't take Georgetown out, but I would have rather seen them in over Georgetown. But jo- Georgetown Got the automatic 13 and 12. They probably stole a bid. I think they stole that bid from Louisville, yeah, obviously, saying, when you look at who wait, the alternate teams that the NCAA put out. That's what I'm saying. Like Belmont wasn't even considered in that next four out line. It was conference tournament or bust for them. And unfortunately, Moorhead State busted it. Breaking down this East region for Alabama here, the two seed in that East region in the very bottom left corner of your bracket, taking on 15 seed Iona. Who is the best offensive team in this East region? The best offensive team? I went with LSU. And when you look at it, and that is true in terms of adjusted offensive efficiency on KimPom.com, LSU comes in at fifth in the nation. I think this eight-seed LSU team, because of their offense, could provide some unique issues for that Michigan team. But Michigan is used to playing good offenses. They've had to tangle with the likes of Illinois and Iowa in Big Ten play on multiple occasions. So I'm not buying into the, the bait that folks are on on national television is trying to sell me that LSU could beat Michigan I think they could provide Michigan some unique challenges that maybe some other teams in this bracket can't because I don't think it's an overly offensive bracket or an overly offensive region but I'm not sitting here convinced that LSU and all of their uh, and all of their talent on on the defensive side of the basketball—that's sarcasm—that they would be able to uh, that they would be able to upset the, uh, upset the one seed there. I think. I mean, I think LSU. But they're on the best offensive team. I think they're the best offensive team, but I don't think Michigan's too far behind them offensively. I'm, I'm not going to say that they're not. They're like sixth or seventh in Ken Palm's adjusted offensive efficiency rankings. They are actually point four point. Like uh, LSU is one twenty point five adjusted offensive adjusted offensive efficiency rating and then michigan is 120.1 yeah so they're i mean they're They're the two best teams they just play the game differently lsu's up tempo michigan's very slow and and florida state's also 10th in uh adjusted offensive efficiency but you don't have to worry about them they're they're nothing lost to georgia tech in the acc title game you hear that you did you did get us with that you did get us with that last week I mean, and Alabama could be up there as well. They just have to be more efficient. They can score. It's just, can they efficiently score? And they're, and they're a threat. They've got guys who can shoot the three. They can score, but can they efficiently score? That's the, that's the <laughs> thing. They can score. They can run out there and score. Like They, they have can, the ability to score, but they haven't done it on a consistent basis. Yeah, I mean, that's all it is because they run the, you know a more up-tempo style of offense. I know it sounds like 
It sounds just like me saying the field general on the field when I say they can score, but yeah. can they officially score? They can they score they can score a lot simply because they get a lot of possessions. Opportunities. They get a lot they of They put opportun- up a lot of points, but they may not do it efficiently. Yeah, that's all yeah. I mean that's all it's it out is. of volume. It's 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 purely out of volume and not out of efficiency. Sure. Best defensive team in this region to me, I'm going to go with the one seed Michigan. They're seventh in adjusted defensive efficiency. They are not the highest team in that category. Alabama is currently third in the country in defensive efficiency, but, but I like yep. this Michigan team based off of the talent that they've played. They've been tested vastly vastly more times than Alabama has by, by much, much better offenses. So I'm not, I'm not completely buying into that Alabama is the best defensive team in this, in this region just on stats alone. I think Michigan's up there. I agree with that. I agree. I was looking at that myself and I said, you know, Alabama might be the number two adjusted defensive team in the country according to KenPom.com, but in my head, I'm like, what What world beaters at offense outside of LSU have they played? They haven't really played a lot of good offensive teams. This is a region that has sparked some interest from national pundits talking about various sneaky teams. Georgetown, UConn, of course, you got the 211 seeds that have the basketball pedigree UConn. with UConn Michigan State. UConn is sneaky. I like me. that. That's my sneaky team. Michigan State and UCLA, the 211 seeds. When you talk about teams with basketball pedigree, they've, they've got talent. And then on top of that, they're also getting that extra play-in game to already generate some momentum. We've seen that 11 seed in the play-in game go on in a little bit of a tournament run sometimes and typically beat that six seed. I feel like when they come out of that first four area of the bracket, have already brought up Georgetown getting hot in the Big East, 13-12 and 12 maybe, but they did just go and win the Big East tournament to get into the NCAA tournament. Another team that folks have mentioned a little bit in terms of maybe being able to go on a little bit of a run, LSU. I think that one's a stretch. I'm not, I'm not completely sold on that. And then another one that although by seed is not, is not anything out of the ordinary because they're a three seed, but we were talking about Texas and really negative hush tones about a month ago, and they have turned it back on, and they they've gotten hot right now coming they, into the tournament. They won the Big Twelve tournament. They you know they beat Kansas in a very close game a few weeks ago. The team is, I mean, it's a good team. They've they've played through the Big Twelve gauntlet. You're in the tournament. You're a three seed. You're good for a reason. I feel like that's the team that people are sleeping on in this. Like I I feel like people are aware of texas obviously they know that texas is a good basketball team but i feel like nobody is really thinking texas could come out of this like nobody's saying that and that's what's going to worry me moving forward if you're another team because i think texas might can just kind of play that chip on their shoulder because they are a talented basketball team they can play that chip on the shoulder and kind of catch some people off guard maybe you know teams like alabama who are overlooking them and thinking more about michigan state potential upset in this region everybody likes to pick upsets of course you're very familiar with the 512 611 710 potential upset in this bracket for me I already talked about these teams a bit number 11 Michigan State number 11 UCLA which one whichever one of those two teams I think they're both capable of beating number six BYU first of all it's a WCC team it's not the most substantial talent in the world on the roster but also just for the factor alone that you're getting that play-in game to generate some momentum as I said just a few moments ago that can sometimes 
help propel you to an upset in that first round matchup when you're playing that six seed who's having to generate momentum themselves and you're talking about Michigan State and UCLA both teams that recruit well have a lot of talent especially Michigan State Michigan State started out this college basketball season as a top 10 team they've beaten some top 10 teams along the way in this past month in the Big Ten they're playing much better basketball now in the tournament that's a big reason why they're in as an at-large so I can see that upset happening a lot as well of talent, a lot of talent and a lot of co- in a great coach so We'll look at some of the other regions in the NCAA tournament bracket in just a moment. We'll be back in just a few, uh, just a few over this commercial break here on On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. All on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook. That's FoxSports983.com. Just go and find just go and search Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook, and uh, that's how you can keep up with what's going on at the station. It's the best time of year. NCAA tournament talk all over the place. We're going to have that here on On the Line. Now let's keep looking at the NCAA tournament bracket here. We just talked about the East region in depth. Didn't give you any picks, and we're not going to give you any picks until later on in the week, uh, mainly because we haven't made it yet. We're, uh, we're chewing on it a little bit, and uh, I don't want to pick my bracket yet. I, w- I want to savor this and, and do several, obviously doing some dumb things like pick, pick flipping the, a coin. Yeah, pick, but, the, pick the fun ones first, and then you just ruminate on it. Because you also got to yeah. think, some of these teams might not be in there come Thursday. There might be That's some teams also that, true. You may not have Kansas. Yeah, there might be teams that happen. I mean, I think uh, Virginia, I don't think they're going in at full strength right now, for sure. So you need to... You need to wait and really think about this if you want to be effective and you're making a legitimate bracket because this is a weird year. COVID protocols are happening. You might you might have a team not play, and then they get replaced by Louisville or St. Louis or Ole Miss, and that might change your outlook on what you're thinking of them. Well, let's look at some of the other regions in this NCAA tournament bracket. The field of 68, I felt like the committee did a pretty good job with the field. I don't have too many gripes um let's actually talk about that first before only, we go only into some cu- of the only other regions couple. only a couple i don't like the fact that florida's a seven seed i don't know how you make florida a seven seed and lsu an eight seed when lsu is the team that made the sec championship that has to account for something they also split the regular season series if i remember correctly this florida team i felt like ended the year on a sour note they lost two out of their last three games going into it they really didn't look that great against vanderbilt i don't know what shouts seven seed when you see Florida and you look at some of these eight seeds, Oklahoma was an eight seed, LSU an eight seed, Loyola Chicago an eight seed, all of those teams so much better than Florida. I thought Loyola Chicago would have for sure gotten a seven. Um, yeah, I don't like I don't like Loyola Chicago being an eight. You're going to reward a team that has played you know pretty remarkable all year long, and you know one of their big knocks was losing to Drake off of that doubleheader. If I'm not mistaken, they had to play a Friday, then they turned around and play them on that Saturday, which pretty you know it's pretty hard to do something like that so what do you get rewarded with an eight seed where you're going to play the one seed in the round of 32 well you know that's why they did that because and if i'm illinois i'm 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 ticked I, if, 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 if like i, I would feel, be very upset okay so if you want to if you want to talk about that the you know that bracket what is it the uh is that the west which one is that's it? the midwest the midwest yeah Bottom that right that bracket for illinois 
you just went through the gauntlet of the Big Ten Basketball Conference Championship, and you might be rewarded with playing Loyola Chicago or the ACC. Or the ACC champion. Yeah, or the yeah. ACC champion. And then, oh, by the way, Tennessee is a five seed in your bracket. And, I mean, Tennessee, there have been times where they've played as an eight seed this year. There have been times where they've played like a three or a two seed this year as well. If you get that one, you're also not happy about that. Oh, by Kate the way, Cunningham. Kate Cunningham is in there. Liberty has played well this year. Syracuse frauds, get them out of here. West Virginia. San Diego State's a favorite to be a bracket buster. Yeah, you guys. I know they're a six seed, good. but they yeah. are they are favorite to be a bracket buster. Yeah, Illinois. And then, and then look at your two and three. Houston, who I've been nah, a little I'm bit. Not, I'm not I've been thrilled under, about I've been that. underwhelmed with them, but we do know that they can play very good defense if they can find a way to shoot the basketball. Look, maybe if there's a two happens. going down, if there is a two going down this year, it's Houston. You think so? I don't think it's going to happen. I'm just saying, if, if there is do. a two going down, it's Houston because they play that kind of style where, yep. where it it's like it's the reason why Virginia got beaten as a one seed by UMBC because they were that team that played really good defense, but had some offensive inefficiencies and, and ineptitude. And borderline makes it more simple for the other team because if you can match their level of efficiency and that slower pace of game, you're just you're not going to get run out of the gym ever. Like you're always yep, going to yep. be in it because it's a it's a slower paced game. But yeah, that top half that top half of the bracket, I mean, for Illinois, it's you could look at a situation where you're going into, you know, the round of 32 where you have Illinois, Loyola, Chicago, Tennessee, and Oklahoma State. And that it also a Liberty team that's been to the tournament two years in a row now. Yeah, last yeah. Year. If Liberty upsets and wins that game, or if Georgia Tech beats, you know, Loyola Chicago, you have the ACC tournament champion winner as well. Illinois, I they got hosed with this. They they got absolutely hosed with their. Are they the, were they the last the last one seed? I were think, they the fourth one seed? I think they were. Sting's yeah. nodding his head. I think they well, were. That's I would, what happened. That's I would have rather them been over Michigan, though. I would have rather them. But they just well, because, last, well, they went to the Big Ten. They won the Big Ten championship, and then they beat Michigan the last time they played by like twenty three. I think y'all are wrong. I think Illinois was above Michigan. I don't think so. I think they're. Can the you fourth go and seed. find that? Yeah, I'm about to go look for it, but I'm pretty sure that because if the NCAA tournament committee, I mean, it doesn't make a big deal, I guess. Yeah, well, it does because it gives you the best two seed in your region. There's no way Houston's the best two seed in their region. I think Michigan was the last one because Alabama had to be the five, had to be the fifth ranked team, right? Like I know you're going to grabbing that, but still, I'll continue on talking. Regardless, about it. I think Illinois is a better basketball team than Michigan is at this current yep. moment in time. I think Illinois is a better basketball team than just about everybody in college basketball, with the exception of Baylor and Gonzaga. But I think they, I think Illinois is the one team that can give those guys a run for their run for their money. Michigan might be able to, but I'm still not thrilled about the way that they play the game i'm not too thrilled by the how slow of a tempo that they have and considering they just got beat by 23 by illinois back in the regular season recently i don't don't know if i'm i don't know if i'm all the way there sold on michigan being able to being able to you know pull the sword out of the stone if you're michigan right being able to you know upset one of those teams and overthrow gonzaga and baylor this year but you're you're spot on if we're talking about gripes, Georgia Tech was one that I saw with nine. I was getting there. I wasn't thrilled with Georgia Tech as a nine seed. How often is one of the first four buys in the ACC tournament a nine seed? That's crazy. Like that's it's wild. Like you you never see a, that's at least a five seed most years, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I would say that's usually a five seed. That it, it, but the ACC has been down this year. I mean, you think about that. I mean, the it's one of the worst been. years I can remember for the ACC. But still, a nine seed for the team that just won the ACC championship. You know what's sad when you look at Ken Palm's ratings and you see the highest ranked team that didn't make the tournament sitting there at thirty three. It's, it's Duke. It's sad yep. to look at. It's sad. 
Really they weren't is. even an alternate, Levi. I know. I was like, <laughs> all right. So, and, and that's another thing. If you're gonna but play, are you going to make an alternate a team that's you know struggling with coronavirus right now? No, not at all. Exactly. But also, Duke, Duke over Syracuse. Uh, but obviously, I'd say Louisville over Syracuse. With the way they're playing right now, I think Duke is the better basketball team. But if just, I'm looking at a holistic resume, I will take Syracuse. I just I just don't think Syracuse is that good this year. I haven't been impressed with them. I think. But I, the last time we said that, Syracuse went to a Final Four as an 11 seed. That's true. Would you rather uh, Would you rather Ole Miss be in there over Syracuse? Ole Miss be in there? No. You don't think so? I don't think Ole Miss is better than Syracuse. I think they're about the same. I, yeah, that's fair. I think they're about the same. And, and you know what happens if they're about and the Syracuse same? And Syracuse has a better resume. And you know what happens if you're if they're about the same? You're going to take the team that's going to generate more TV money. And Syracuse is just that. There's they the are New among, York market. There's the New York market, <laughs> and it's Syracuse over Ole yeah, Miss. At least in terms of basketball, you want Syracuse in there. That's why I was surprised that Duke didn't make the tournament after a little bit. I was sitting there looking, and I said, they might just throw them in there for some like TV money just to kind of like say here because – if Duke snuck that into the tournament after you know having to forfeit against Florida State in the tournament, people would be ticked. They would be aggravated. It would get people talking about it. And then it's that market. So I was surprised they didn't do that. It at least showed a little bit of morality from the selection committee that they didn't just go try to grab a bag real quick. Also, it was very clear they were trying to generate matchups at the 8-1 in the round of 32 or the 9-1, whatever happens. There was very clear like Oklahoma as an eight seems like a stretch for me. I know they didn't end the year on a, on a bright spot, but once again, it was the Big Twelve, a very deep conference. Uh, they, they beat what, they like had three, some sick wins, man. They beat, they beat like, three what, top ten yeah, teams in a row, row at yeah. one point. So that and that Oklahoma team has a has a top has a top five or a top six win over that Alabama squad from earlier in the year as well. So Oklahoma as an eight seed that's trying to generate eight one with Gonzaga. A 1-8 with either Baylor, North Carolina, or a 1-9 with Baylor, Wisconsin will draw some eyes. One Illinois with either Loyola, Chicago, or Georgia Tech, who are the ACC champions. And then Michigan, LSU, or possibly LSU, or excuse me, or, or possibly Michigan, St. Bonaventure. So that, I think that's Michigan, what they're trying to engineer I feel like Michigan there, but, got the best draw out of that. Because I, like, I feel like they got the better matchup. Like, I mean... Gonzaga a I think bit. Baylor probably got the best draw. Well, then again, I don't know. The way North Carolina was playing ball at the end of the year in the yeah, ACC North- tournament, they they just as easily, if it wasn't for losing by you know three points or one point or whatever it was to Florida State in the semis, they would have given they they would have been a hard out for Georgia Tech in the title game. And you count you can't count out teams like North Carolina, Wisconsin, who have that tournament pedigree. Yeah, their and coaches he, know how to how to even, how to coach their way through a tournament I, I setting. Mean, you, you said it earlier about Syracuse as an 11 seed make to the Final Four. You saw Kentucky make it as an eight seed. Uh, we saw UConn make a deep run one time. I mean, there's Michigan State. I think if I'm not mistaken, they made it as like a seven or six seed one. Big year. reason why I am super attracted to the 11 Michigan State, 11 UCLA first four game because whoever wins that I think has a real shot to get to the second round after upsetting a team like 60 BYU. And that's just it's it's hard when you look at a team let's be let's be honest. North Carolina this is a down year for North Carolina, but it's still they still have that talent. They still have Roy Williams as the head coach. Wisconsin's the same way. They went through the Big 10 gauntlet. I mean, you wouldn't be you think they're scared of Baylor? No. no. And they definitely shouldn't be with Roy Williams as their head coach, but Last question here before we go to break to wrap up the show. Which region in the NCAA tournament bracket is the most intriguing for you? And I feel like you've already answered this question yeah, to a degree. It's still the Illinois bracket for me. I yeah, mean, it's still that Midwest, region. that Midwest region. And also, I couldn't find – I tried to look up to see the order. of. I couldn't find the order of well, the since you, seeds. And that's fine. And since you since you talked about the top half of that bracket earlier in this segment, I mean, you, there's the a bo- lot of talent in that top half. The bottom the, half bracket is intriguing, though, for me because I think it could get messy. 
it's it's funny because me and you have both been kind of down on Houston this year in terms of how they play their like how they play the game of basketball. Well, everybody got their bracket and was like, "Oh, Houston's a two seed." And now you're thinking, so what if what if Houston kind of goes through? What if Houston proves everybody wrong and it goes? I mean, I knew shocking. they were going to be a two seed, but like you know, the average fans like, "Oh." Houston's a two seed, right? And, yeah. and you look at the bottom half of the bracket. San Diego State's a favorite. You might like possibly West, West Virginia over them. I mean, well, West Virginia is another team that that is is fun to watch. They've been great when they're great, but they've been yep. also equally able to be upset in the Big Twelve. Clemson, Rutgers, Rutgers went through the Big Ten. It's hard to evaluate some of these ten seed Big Ten schools like Rutgers and Maryland. Of course, Houston as a two seed seems very upsettable by one of those two teams at seven or ten it's, with it's, Clemson or Rutgers. That, that's going to be a fun region. Yeah. The bottom half of that bracket is very intriguing. On the line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. Wrapping up the show here on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Before we wrap up the show here, let's take a listen to What's On TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. It's all come down to this, the season finale of The Bachelor. Who will Matt James select? Find out tonight on the season finale of The Bachelor on ABC at 7. Then following the finale, The Bachelor after the final rose will be on at 9. If you want to stay away from the drama, The Voice is on NBC at 7, continuing with part 5 of The Blind Auditions. Some movie selections for tonight. Law Abiding Citizen is on AMC at 7. The 2016 reboot of Ghostbusters is on FX at 7. Do you need help filling out your bracket? Tournament Challenge Marathon is on ESPN2 starting at 7. In the NBA, we've got two games on ESPN tonight. At 7, it's a battle in New York. The Knicks and the Nets will square off in a revamped rivalry as the two teams are among the top seven teams of the Eastern Conference. At 9.30, the Lakers will take on the Warriors. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Are you looking for help in filling out your bracket? And I hope we've helped in some way giving you food for thought. We haven't told you what we're picking. We're not swaying you one way or the other when we've talked about the bracket as a whole and giving our opinions on different regions and whatnot because we haven't made our picks yet either. I'm waiting till a little bit closer to tournament time which is on thursday with the first four and I, I like to pick the first four games i know there's a lot of people that don't i've never quite understood why places like espn.com and pretty much anywhere that's got a bracket challenge i don't understand why they don't make you pick the first four that should affect your bracket because it does i mean if you sit there and take for example the 11 seeds matter i mean take for example you have michigan state ucla and then wichita state and drake as your you know four 11 seeds that are in the first four and they're playing six seeds that are very upsettable you might change your mind based off of what team wins i feel more confident in michigan state than i do ucla i do also have a lot of confidence in ucla but i have a slight edge towards michigan state because of tom Izzo and what i've seen from them i mean they were in the final four the last tournament that we had so i mean you it does matter it does matter a good bit when you're thinking about stuff like that and i'm I'm with you I, i i don't uh I don't understand why they don't allow you to pick those games because it, it matters. It, that's kind of a cop-out because if they do make it and you have Michigan State slash UCLA in the Final Four and you were thinking Michigan, you were thinking UCLA made it, but Michigan State made it. Still it was, counted. They still counted, <laughs> but it was kind of cheap that they counted. Yeah. We got a caller on the line with us. It's never too late to call on the line. We got Shane on the line with us. Shane, how you doing today, my man? 
All right, guys. How y'all doing? We're doing really well. Hey, I'm sure you already discussed all this, but what what in the world is happening to softball? We actually haven't yeah, talked we, about softball today. We so, talked so, so much about much. Auburn football, but we haven't talked about softball yet. Um, I what? think. Go ahead. What? I was just, you know, what what happened? There's zero offense against or, or well, I wouldn't say that. They got on base a lot on the in the first game. It 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 just, and, and I think the second game actually, but they just couldn't score. Yeah, and I've came to expect this with Auburn softball, and I know that sounds really dejected, and I don't mean for oh, it to man. sound that way, but. It's, it's kind of been the same story for the last three, four years. Since, since the Myers coaching staff left, this yeah, has I been agree. the story. It even I would even say that this was the story in the last yeah, year like of the, the Myers end, staff. Yeah, yeah, towards the end of the Myers staff, it was it was a story there, too. So why? Like, why what's, what's happening? Like the, the pitching seems to be great. Why is this like a coaching thing, or is it a decision by the, the players not acting, not, not reacting, you know – instinctively on in time or something what do you see is the problem and that's hard to answer and, and that's not a cop out and this is something I'll, I'll i'll kind of counter the point here is auburn this was a reality check series for auburn this year against alabama because auburn really didn't play anybody good in non-conference play which in my opinion and right. i'm not the coach is not the best way to go about things you know i'm not super happy right. with where auburn baseball is right now but at least they've played some yeah. good teams in non-conference play so they're not shell-shocked when they play Ole miss this weekend right alabama on the other hand or not alabama auburn on the other hand has gone from uh, the softball team has gone from playing bad teams to now playing one of the best teams in the country in alabama i mean they were undefeated going into the weekend or maybe one loss yeah they were one loss going into the weekend top five team top four team or whatever and and that alabama softball team uh, obviously shut Auburn down I want to see how Auburn responds to other SEC teams before I make a conclusion on this softball team because I actually felt like and I know Auburn looked bad on this on the Friday and Saturday games I felt like Auburn was more competitive than I thought they were actually going to be to be honest with you because I've been I've been really down on this softball team because I just have no confidence in their bats I actually think they they at least put up a fight on Sunday had a real chance to at least take one out of three and I think if Auburn does take the Sunday game yeah, we're talking about the softball team a little bit differently you're a lot proud like you, you but, feel but a lot better do we not do we not have uh I, I I was I was I thought we had some really highly uh uh recruited offensive uh, women on that team that that we got like didn't we not have a couple of good recruiting classes oh yeah and, and but that they're supposed to be good hitters yeah or, or, or they're just, i think you know, they're what? young I, th- I think they're young those classes are, are kind of you know they're still underclassmen at the moment freshmen and sophomores but of it's definitely it's the 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 lineup is a lot different than when the Myers were there. You know that first couple of years yeah, when yeah. they were smashing yeah. home runs every at bat, every other at bat. But the the staff, I've been super impressed with the pitching staff. Still, I know that it didn't go as planned this weekend against Alabama, but I I think that this is the best softball pitching staff we've seen in the last four or five years since since the Myers were there as well. So at least that's back. I think this Auburn team, like I said, I'm not writing them off yet. The bats were largely unimpressive. It was a reality check. But I am I am expecting this team to bounce back. I don't think that they're as bad as they've been in recent years in SEC play because Auburn's been outside the top ten of the SEC the past couple of years in softball. I think they may be good enough to be a top ten SEC team this year. We'll see. I'm I'm just uh, I, don't, I really don't know how to how to react with softball right now because uh, because we got so used 
and spoiled with, when Myers were, were here, you know, that yep. we got used to that. And now, and now it's, uh, it's totally different, but uh, one real quick, I know you guys are going to go, but the, the baseball, um, man, that I, I listened to that entire last game and it was ugly. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was ugly. I don't know if they got tired or just, they just thought that they weren't, weren't, you know, they didn't need to show up that last game or, or what, but the, the, the first, Two series. I mean, first two games, team. It, 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 it was decent. You know, you shut them out, and you score some points. But then that last game was just, was just sloppy. I don't know what it was. It was they just couldn't stop the ball from going. Yeah, and you hate to see Auburn be in that boat because, like, Ole Miss lost on Sunday to to ULM, but like Ole Miss is also. 13 and 3 they also swept like three top 10 teams on opening weekend like Auburn hasn't done that yet so you're hoping Auburn was going to be dominant this weekend looking good going to play against one of the best SEC teams there is and instead they're uh Arkansas they uh, okay I I I didn't see any scores out of Arkansas this past weekend for baseball they lost uh I don't know who they played but uh it wasn't a very uh wasn't a wasn't a really good team I don't think so well, uh, yeah, that's right. Well, Shane, uh, we got to get out of here. That's it for another edition. Appreciate it, Shane. That was Shane joining us on the line. Yeah, I was actually I was pretty busy this weekend. I didn't keep up with a lot of the stuff that was going on with our, uh, other teams in the SEC for Arkansas. But that does it for another edition of On the Line. We'll be back tomorrow. Stay tuned for the drive with Bill Cameron following us. We'll see you tomorrow. You know where to find us.